You're listening to the Southeast Asia Business Podcast with me, Dana Bluen. Oh yeah, flip it, flip the airplane mode. Uh, if you can't reach me, I apologize. I didn't ignore you, I was in disguise. In disguise, man, you know I got a big surprise. Ask me why, cause I'm trying to... What's going on, everyone? Dana Blue in Southeast Asia Business Podcast here on EFM, the one and only podcast network for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. With me today in the studio is Paolo Rentero. He is the co-founder of Digiteer, also of Ignite PH, also of Mixed Nuts, also oh, of Tech Shake, all here in uh, <laughs> Philippines. Paolo, my paisan. Thank yeah, you for joining yeah. me, my man. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. So, the mixed nuts part, though. That's not true? No, not true, not true. But I, allegedly. 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 But you're in true. all the photos on their website. <laughs> <laughs> all right. They, they said you're a ski pole master or something? Um, <laughs> how do I explain that in startup terms? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what's, the, what's the total addressable market there? Let me think. <laughs> <laughs> what's your exit strategy? Yeah. Yeah. To ask me in about 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Paolo, tell yeah. me about Digitaire. I know that this is it's not mm. your first kind of venture, but it's like your your most long term, 2013, yeah, most right? Long term. Um, Digitaire is a software development company. I started yeah. 2013. And basically what we do in the company is create mobile applications, websites, mm. and enterprise software. Whatever anyone needs, right? Whatever everyone needs. And that's how we started out. Um, I remember working for another startup, um, but I felt that, I, I kind of really just wanted to create my own from the very beginning. Something that you could do on exactly. your own. Exactly, yeah. because I, I used to develop, or I was a developer since grade school. Oh, so early on. Or, or pretty, pretty early on, I could say that maybe my first actual like startup venture was like when I was in grade six. Really? You know, I didn't even yeah. touch a computer until like <laughs> high school. Okay. Like, I'm a little bit older than you, right? So no, junior high. We had computers in junior high, but uh-huh. like still, that was back in the AOL days. Like yeah. You know, and I'm programming in like basic and you're just making like text driven games. And my time is more of like Dreamweaver already. So, like, those oh, yeah, type yeah. of tools, like Adobe Flash, powerful like tools, Macromedia Flash back then. Yeah. yeah. And I put up this website called Food Genie, which was, I, I did it with a close friend. Yeah. And it was a website that pretty much curated like different restaurants with oh, their nice. menus and stuff like that. And it was just like a small side project. And I remember going to different restaurants at the time and actually trying to sell them on the product. Wow. But I was in like school uniform, so I guess that's how it didn't <laughs> like, really like work. Like the white polo shirt. <laughs> yeah, with the, like yeah. brown pants, leather <laughs> shoes. So like, that's my first pretty much foray in terms of like website development. Yeah, nice. Things like that. And I, I did that all through like high school and college. What, what year was that roughly like? Roughly? Oh, man. That was like 28. Around more than 15 years ago. 15 years ago. So like early 2000s. Yeah, pretty much. Like, like my first actual startup with some friends was back in the 90s. We actually were curating like uh, entertainment locations around uh-huh. a, a city. And basically classic database stuff. This is before you could really aggregate data. There was no mm-hmm. geolocation, none of that. Yeah. No apps even. No one had a smartphone. They didn't exist. This is before the BlackBerry even existed. <laughs> so keep that in mind. And uh, you could basically go through and like pick out bars, live music, restaurants, and kind of plan an evening. And it would tell you like how, oh, how long okay. it would take to walk there or take a cab or take the train. So, well, that, that sounded pretty advanced for its time. Well, I, like, even it, the planning it was, there was a lot of brute force behind it. Oh, I got mean, it, got it, You know, there, there was a lot of like actual like going out, collecting data. You know, there was... Understood. Yeah, there was a lot of brute force to it all. Um, 
But yeah, that, that was back in the day. You know, it was funny <laughs> that you got your start in food too. My yeah. two my two best media exits were both like uh, satirical food sites. Satirical food sites. Yeah, so like I would like essentially making fun of uh, food ventures. Like uh, like food making fun of food um, reviewers, and we, we would go out and review all you could eat buffets, like uh-huh. like the shittiest of the shitty buffets, <laughs> like all you could eat Chinese food, and we would use like all the same language from like high end food reviews, like oh. the, talk about the decadence of the spring rolls or the uh, the mouthfeel of the lo mein, you know, like really funny stuff. And there's a market for that. No, I think a, a lot of what happened was mm. I started to like hijack the people who were actual foodies because this is when like the whole. Food <laughs> yeah. Foodie yeah, craze yeah. came around like the mm-hmm. the late two thousands, and everyone was like, "Oh yeah, I'm a foodie," and nah, people it. started blogging. And so we had these sites that basically made fun of everything <laughs> that they were doing. And I think some of them found it by accident because we were really localized the content, and uh, people would send us the nastiest messages. Well, that's perfect, man. I think yeah. you're onto something if you're making people angry. Yeah, basically. if you're making people angry, you yeah. got something. You got something worth talking about. <laughs> So now you left the the startup you were working at and you started Digitaire right yeah. away or you started something else first? Well, I worked in a previous startup company for like six months. Um, I think the main driving factors were, well, I had a certain goal for the company that I want to actually okay. build. And one, that main driving factor really was culture. Okay. Like I had a certain ideal in terms of culture or how an actual company should pretty much operate. And the thing about the Philippines is when it comes to the culture, it's more of like being in the family. Yeah. Things like that, right? So you, and, I get that a lot here. Like yeah. people talk about like all their family. Even someone today said that their family had a huge influence on the fact that they got a job instead of yeah. starting a company right away. So like in my company, that's pretty much my mandate. Mm. And um, I built around that. Like my focus really was culture mm. well, before business. Yeah. And that's pretty much what was the turning point when I left the previous company because I didn't see the actual culture there. Gotcha. So to a certain extent, like we've been running for over yeah, five three, years three, now. four years, like five years. And 2013 to now. Yeah, 2013 almost now. Almost five yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Oh, five years there. <laughs> and um, I really feel that I was able to build a certain type of culture within the company, which mm. is for me is ready to success in a certain sense. Now, when you started out, was it just you? And it you- was just, well, I, we were a group of three, okay. like three co-founders. Okay. And right now we're around 16? 16, 16, 16 to 18, yeah. We're so, so you're pretty big now. It's, yeah, very, it's very stressful. Yeah. Running a service-based company, um, every, you're checking your money every month. <laughs> Some, <laughs> sometimes like three, four times a month. Yes, yes. I, I run a media company. I'm always like, all right, how's the bank account? Look, exactly. Right, I, gotta, I can't buy certain things this month. I can't invest in certain things. got to just hold it, hold it. Always. Always running into that problem. Well, not necessarily a problem, but it's something, if your actual um, idea or like for my, my ideal is to maintain a culture, there should be a way to actually sustain it. Mm. And that's pretty much where the, side, the business side comes in afterwards. Mm. And that's pretty much my thought process. So it's to maintain the culture, then pretty much make a business out of it. But obviously, that doesn't necessarily work for other or different businesses. Now, right? we, I, I sorry to interrupt you, but I, yeah, I, I want to ask about culture because mm-hmm. I can obviously it's important to you. You've mm-hmm. said that you started out as three co-founders. Very easy to develop a family-like culture with mm-hmm. three co-founders. Yeah. You're now at 18 employees. Yeah. How do you scale that tight-knit culture as you grew from three to 18? Yeah. So the truth is, when it comes to scaling, 
So I could say that we're still a very small company. Oh, That's for sure. 18 is not huge. 18 is not huge, but it's something that you can easily control um, in terms of culture, right? Mm. It depends really on like the people you hire mm. or the people you talk to or the people pretty much you work with in partnerships yeah. or clients. So um, let's start with like the hiring process. Yeah. Okay. And there's several things that I always put importance to. Mm. It's not necessarily you're the best at what you do, mm-hmm. but if you align in a certain mindset, or a certain belief system, and that's pretty much where we can actually take you in. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. Um, one of the questions I always ask them, and which I also really believe, like personally, is um, what is your end? Like, what what are you striving for? Because like for me, and like I think this is also a mistake of some entrepreneurs, especially when they're much younger. Usually, mm. the end goal for them is to put up a startup, but that's not mm. sustainable. Mm. What you need to be able to do is pretty much. That startup is your means hmm. to your end. Yeah. So for every person, there's always an end that you want to aspire for. So if their end doesn't align with your end or the company's end, hmm. that means they're not going to stay in your company. True. And True. when it comes to my company, there's like almost zero turnover rate. Wow. So we kept the same people unless they wanted to like study already abroad and stuff like that. And we have the same people who had to leave for certain reasons. Come still, back. still come back for our parties and things like that. Nice. So it's because... The people we hire and the people we bring into the company always have that shared end with the company. Yeah. I always say this and I always um I always I, I read books and there's a lot of things that really resonate. I look at pictures a lot. Yeah. <laughs> what type of pictures? <laughs> <laughs> Mixed nut pictures. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> I always I always read this and pretty much you are a reflection of what your company is. Mm. So how you treat people, how you are as a person, how organized you are, how disorganized you are. I'm a very disorganized person myself. Mm. Pretty much comes out also in the company that you create. Ah, company that you create, right? Yep. So it also is the same with the people that you bring in. Mm. It's like a relationship. It's like bringing people into your family. So they need to have that shared goal or shared end. So yeah. that's one of the questions I actually ask them when hiring. What's the best answer you ever got? Best answer? Yeah. To, well, when somebody said, what's your end? Like for me, I would right away, world domination. I have heard that. Yeah. Well, that's mine. That's, <laughs> right. that's mine too. Like, yeah. What, what do you want to do? Rule the world. <laughs> There's no best answer. Yeah. Like for me. No, not best, but what's the best that you've ever heard, whether it was a good or bad one? Like, like for me, the best I've ever heard really was... It's very interesting because um, it's not necessarily... I've heard people say, like, oh, I want money. Yeah. Like, I want to have a lot of money. That can still be aligned with the company, right? Yeah. Bitches um, and hoes. Yeah. <laughs> bitches and hoes. Lamborghinis. Uh, some people would say, um, like, I want to support my family. Yeah. Like, I want to create a good future for them. But one of them would... One of them in the recent company I've started said that for him, he wants to play this infinite game, which is very interesting because yeah. um, if you think about it, as people, we, how he explained it was like people play these infinite games wherein you always want to just keep playing and keep winning or losing, yeah. but just play this infinite game. So for him, it's not about necessarily working for a certain end in terms of like a monetary benefit. Mm. It's more of, I want to keep playing this game forever. Keep playing this game of like starting companies mm. or developing products or creating ideas. Yeah. So that was what his answer was. That's and like for he, me, that's like, yeah. fuck, okay. I mean, wait, could I, am I allowed to ask? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Say what yeah. you want, my man. Say what you want. Follow, yeah. follow, my person. You, you have the freedom of speech here. All right, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. but that, that's it. And I'm like, okay, that makes so much sense because like, we, we live to do this, basically. Like, 
personally, I yeah. love creating. I love mm. like building products from the it's ground up. It's a rewarding, up, so rewarding experience. Exactly, yeah. very rewarding experience. It doesn't matter like even if I'm like dirt poor right now, yeah. or like rich in the future. It doesn't matter. It's mm. like I just keep on want. I just want to keep on playing this game. Mm. In a certain sense. So that pretty much. So that's yeah, a great answer. It's a great answer, and it's like, oh fuck, yeah. Yeah. And I agree. I totally agree. But I can't give you the job though, because the other guys yeah. are bitches and hoes. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's more aligned with my personal <laughs> beliefs. So I'm sorry. Like, yeah, I mean, uh, it's a fantastic answer. You probably yeah. should go work for Google, but I'm hiring the bitches and hoes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, that, that's an interesting way to approach because mm. I've hired a lot, you know, and mm. over the years when, when I hire, a lot of times I, I think about like, you know, how should I approach the hiring mm. process? And I, I'm really big on applying systems to things, got right? It, so asking it. like the same types of questions over and over again. But one of the things, I always try to make people uncomfortable during interviews <laughs> to see how they'll respond. Got it. Because right? if you can respond well to like me, per, like really trying to make you physically uncomfortable or emotionally uncomfortable, you're probably going to do well in a job, especially yeah. if you have to work for me all the time. Like high pressure situations, maybe. Yeah. Not even high pressure, just like awkward. Like. So like, what's the most awkward question you asked? Also, I, I asked a guy once, I was like, You've been to Bangkok? No. Okay, so there's a, a red light district in Bangkok. Mm. It's called a Soy Cowboy. I'm like, mm. you ever been down to Soy Cowboy? What's that? He's, he's like, what? what, what? It's, oh, it's a red light. Soy Cowboy is like oh, okay. a red light district, it, right? It, it's, like yeah. a, it's a little street in uh, Asok area, Bangkok, that's mm. uh, full of mixed nut type places. Okay. Some mixed nut type places. Some, I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> no, some, some yeah. mixed nut type places, yeah. some not mixed nut type places. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I, I know what he's saying. Some, some donuts, some crawlers. <laughs> you know, it, okay, what, what is the second one? Crawlers. What does that mean? It's like a long donut. It's like a, <laughs> So a donut's like the, the circle with the hole in the middle. Got it, a got color it, got is it. like, hey, uh, right, right, right. <laughs> you know what I'm talking okay, about. Okay, yeah, now you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, like, I'll ask, like, oh, you ever been down there? It's like, you want to go after after this interview? It's almost five. Like, take a walk. It's going good interview. He's like, okay. uh, you know, like, I'll try to put people in awkward positions. Or I'll ask them, like, like, tell me something you hate about your previous boss. Okay. Like, just try to get them to... You know, either incriminate. And if I know if they tell me something they hate that's like really bad, I like, I can't hire this person because he's gonna be like, Dan is an asshole as soon yeah. as he leaves. You know, like, I can't have that. Then no, I have no, to no. kill him. <laughs> <laughs> Sprinkle some darkness on yeah. him. <laughs> print out that Helvetica sign. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But you know, like I always try to put people off, pull mm -hmm. them off their guard, or I'll, I'll ask situational questions. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if if I need you to go take a bribe for, you know. Or pay pay an official a bribe for me. You okay with that? You know, mm, if I, I need to. Right. Yeah, yeah that's, I'm like you know, we, oh, that's crazy. I'm like some of my clients are drug dealers or like warlords. <laughs> is that is that cool with you? And you know, like, whoa, you know, and you try to like just get them to be uncomfortable, especially if you think that you do want to hire them. You know, see how that's how I've always approached it. it doesn't always work out well. I've had people say no to jobs after oh, that. Like, okay, got it. Yeah. But at the same time, it lets me know, like, all right, at least they have, you know, they're comfortable to say no. Yeah, but that's my that, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's your personality. Yeah. And I mean, if you're really starting a company and it's pretty much a reflection of your personality, you want to ask those questions. Yeah, yeah. And it's pretty much a precursor to them working well with you. Exactly. In the sense, yeah. Building a team, like culture, you know, is an yeah. important thing. And mm -hmm. building it to the point where it's like, oh, people are comfortable. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting, you know, the building, you know, and you're at 18 people now, and mm -hmm. so you've done this a lot. Yeah. How big, like, is, is your growth pretty uh, steady, or do you think you'll, you'll grow much bigger, or are you trying to keep it at a certain size? Well, I like our size, but what mm. I'm really exploring now is pretty much building out other companies mm. with a similar structure. So okay. it's not necessarily 
So replicating Digitaire? Exactly, in a certain sense. So um, I want to work on others. Since I have the tech background mm. already and I have a tech team, I want to work on other startups already. Yeah. Meaning creating or spinning out like separate products. So is that kind of like what TechShake is? And... TechShake is more of... Um, TechShake is more of a passion project, you okay. can say. Um, you want me to talk about TechShake first? Or yeah, well, I mean, if, if I mean, I thought it was similar, but you know, talk about whatever you want, man. Yeah. It's your interview. So, tech... <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to ask you the question. Yeah. All so, right, Dana, listen up. <laughs> I'm the interviewer now. Yeah. Okay. So for TechShake, um, it's pretty much a passion project that started like mm. two years ago. Like, yeah, we're almost... Yeah, we're pretty much two years now. And I met this... Japanese guy named Kotaro in one of the events here. And one of the, he was looking for an office space. Mm. And I, was, I told him, set up shop in front of us. And he also has a software development company. And one day he asked me why, why, are there, why is there no information about Philippine startups? Because mm. he always has these Japanese investors asking him, like, what's the startup scene like in the Philippines? Mm. Why don't we know anything about it? So we put up TechShake, a website, which was supposed to really be just articles Converted to Japanese mm. for about startups. Also, oh, supposed to originally be translated yes. to Japanese. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, but like after launching it, after interviewing it, we saw that there was like we're bringing tremendous value for the different startups here. Yeah, and we decided to just really expand it outside of just being a Japanese website. Mm. So now we're doing like events. We're doing we're flying like working with the government to fly like startups to like San Francisco mm. and back, opening up like Singapore, Hong Kong, different mm. startups and bring investors here basically and for that for that company um pretty much it is our passion really to help out startup community in a certain mm. sense like there's just three of us and yeah i feel like there's a lot of work that we're doing mm. but it's very worth it i mean in this we have encountered companies right who came to us and said oh yeah you really helped us out with that, that business matching thing you did now yeah. we've closed the deal with this big corporation mm. and it just pushes forward the startup community here, which also in turn helps myself out, like yeah. in a sense, because like in Digiteer, I'm also starting startups, right? Yeah. So if you create a buzz for investment in the Philippines, it also creates opportunities for investments here. Yeah. So it's helping out the startup scene in general is always beneficial to everyone. Win, win, win. Win, 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 basically. All right, so now let's get back to the, the idea of replicating the Digiteer yeah. model. Mm -hmm. So run, run me through that. So I'm starting this new company um, well, I'm not. I'm not really. I, I'm not really announcing it. Any like oh, this is pretty much the first time I'm talking about it. Okay. But um, we're working on several projects, mm -hmm. several startups, and for me, the most important aspect, and I, I, I gathered this from all the interviews and all the people I've talked to in the startup community. The most important things that you always, always need to watch out for mm. when you're starting a company is well, it's three things basically: it's your team, product, and customer, right? Mm -hmm. And for this company. Um, Outside of the culture that I already understand, starting the tier, mm -hmm. it's already creating that aspect of um, customer like innovation design mm -hmm. for customers. So okay. customer development, basically, and basic as understanding the customer and creating projects out of that. Mm. So with that, I I really plan on working on multiple projects at the same time, and hopefully, like have some successful companies come out in the future. Now, the, the, the new company they're talking about, this will be a completely separate company or yeah. will be part of the Digitaire company? Completely separate company. Completely separate. Yeah. No relation to Digitaire Well, we, they do build the tech, so... Okay. Yeah. So Digitaire builds the tech. Yeah. But the new company is kind of like a project launching Yeah. Thing? It's kind of like um, a... Like a studio. consultancy or... Startup studio. Startup studio. Consultancy is also like 
down there because we do do innovation design mm. in a sense. So we have taken some clients already who are paying for our services. Mm. For Digitaire services or for the new company services? For the new company services. What's the new company called? It's called Vessel. Vessel. Yeah. I thought that was the name of the bar down next to it. No, never. It's mind. after that bar. Right, right, right next that's to That's our it. office space, basically. Oh, okay. Right below Mixed Nuts. Oh, okay. So that's your <laughs> office space. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's pretty much what I'm working on right now. Okay. And um, I really feel like the, the, the biggest thing about that is that I've invited my friends to come to the Philippines. Mm. I brought in my friend who's a software developer from Cisco back mm. here and also a UI UX guy from Seattle back here because I, I really see the opportunity here in the Philippines. They're Filipinos? Or they're... Yeah, they're Filipinos okay. who pretty much migrated, okay. worked there for a bit. I told them, hey, why don't you come back? The opportunity is here in the yeah, Philippines. Yeah, for sure. So it's a lot that's happening here right now and I see Screw it. America. No one wants to be there. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, if you look at it right now, like how, how everything is like panning out in the Philippines, like you see billion dollar companies or unicorns even setting up here, like Canva. Yeah, Canva was here when they set up shop here, even before they were like tagged as a billion dollar company. Yeah, and but who? Do you guys have a unicorn yet? A Filipino unicorn? No, no. Well, there is one called um, Revolution Precrafted. Okay, what? What are they? I've never heard of them. What do they do? So, um, they how, how are they a unicorn? I've never heard of them. Oh well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. Yeah. But they've been on media. I mean, they've been mm -hmm. on like some articles and stuff like that. But if you research um, Revolution Precrafted, it's by this guy named Robbie. Um, they do housing. That's precrafted housing yeah. out of containers. Oh, okay. So that's pretty much... Well, it's also designed by like really world-renowned designers. So right. there's a certain aesthetic to it. Mm. But also it's... Well, building is much faster. Yeah. It's much more... Cost-effective. Yeah, plop it down there. Lower footprint. Yes. So they're a billion-dollar company. That's right a now. Filipino company. It is. It is nice, it, but they they must do business all over the world, right? Yes, yes, they do. You have to. That's a problem. Like in the Philippines, like so. I don't think you have to. I think you could have a domestic unicorn here. Oh, you 120 can. million people. I mean, for yeah. a, for a prefab housing company, no. Yeah. Right. Probably not. The pro but there's a like Gojek in Indonesia. Yeah. Unicorn, you know how many times over, and they only service Indonesia. Now they're twice the size of you, but you're twice the size of Thailand. Yeah. I, I hope I can come up with an actual unicorn, but in a certain sense, you can also... Well, I, I didn't mean you. I meant like no, someone, I meant else, me. someone else could. No, it's, Some, someone else it could. has to be me. Like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. What I mean is like, okay, if you look at the Philippines, yes, it's 100 million people, right? Yeah. An English-speaking country. Yeah. It makes so much sense on paper, but... You also need to understand that we're also kind of five years behind, five to ten years behind, especially when it comes to infrastructure, yeah. which is pretty much a... Well, well but I, I mean, there's, there's physical challenges yes, for infrastructure, because you guys are an archipelago nation. Yeah. For sure. I mean, and look, Indonesia is by no means an infrastructure darling. Mm -hmm. You know, that traffic sucks just like it does here. Internet sucks just like it does here. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, infrastructure is an issue when you're an archipelago nation. 7,100 islands in the Philippines... Yeah, they're they're all not going to be like little Tokyos, mm -hmm. but still a huge population, a well-educated population, yeah. an English-speaking population. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I I'm actually I was really surprised that I didn't find any Filipino unicorns when mm, I was researching I for yeah. this trip, just because I think the environment suits it. Don't get me wrong. I really think there's going to be a unicorn coming out of the Philippines. Oh, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if in the next five years, yeah, next five, five years, ten years. It, yeah. I think the really like, big reason is also there's a huge gap in com when it comes to investing. Yeah, like funds. Like 
there's no real well there's it's hard to actually acquire like get money here in the Philippines mm. even if you can argue that the actual operational cost is much cheaper getting deal sizes of at least seven hundred thousand dollars like five hundred to seven hundred thousand dollars here angel round mm. that, that that doesn't it's not real yeah angel, not angel rounds here like fifty thousand dollars to a hundred thousand dollars yeah so tough. yeah so i've encountered a lot of companies is that because the the angel investors here don't see the value or they don't see the big picture or they're just they don't have the ideas yet to support the bigger round there's a lack of understanding right now for the startup industry um also a lot of the investment money they'd rather put it outside mm. So what happens is they invest in like the U.S., mm. they invest in other countries, Singapore, things like that, which is okay, but of course it doesn't necessarily contribute to the actual growth of the startup. Yeah, I've here. seen that in Malaysia as well, where mm-hmm. like some some big startups, companies that um, one one in particular I can think of, uh, IGL Codings, who I interviewed, they were a, a Colossus finalist. Uh, they make a hydrophobic spray, and uh, you know they were saying like they had very little support in the Malaysian market. Mm. They're Malaysian-made product, but once they blew up in the U.S. and Japan, then all of a sudden like Malaysia wanted to like yeah. be part of it, and Malaysian yeah. investors want to hear what they have to say. You know, I think they would be they'll be a unicorn. They'll be a Malaysian okay. unicorn for sure, in in like the chemical space, and because they they service the auto industry. How Got huge it. is that? You know, but. I've heard them say the same things. I've heard a number of other Malaysian companies say the same things that a lot of Malaysian investors want to look at Singapore mm-hmm. or they want to look somewhere else. Yeah. So it, may, it, it might just be like a cultural thing that that, that gap just needs to be bridged it's by true. one person. But times are changing. I mean, that's why we're doing Ignite, the mm. event, so that at least we're bringing all of these investors here to actually take a look in the Philippines. So you might see that shift soon. Mm. And what I like saying also is that now is the perfect time to actually look for opportunities in the Philippines because, like I said, like it's like five, ten years behind, right? Mm. It's like you're looking at, like, you know, back from the future. Yeah. You're looking at that sports almanac. Yeah, the sports like, almanac. If you know you're five and ten years behind, you already know what's going to happen in the next five years, yeah. right? So, President Biff. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real thing. So what you want to do is you want to position yourself in those industries that you know are going to blow up yeah. in the next five years. That's why I'm telling my friend, hey, come back here. Let's work on e-commerce. Mm. Let's work on fintech. Let's work mm. on even cryptocurrency and blockchain, there's so many opportunities that you can create in the Philippines and there's a lot of people who also want to get in. Yeah. So it's great. Like time, I, I have a really good feeling that everything like from five years to 10 years can be great for startups here in the Philippines. I, I look at these nascent markets like mm-hmm. Philippines and uh, Myanmar, mm-hmm. Cambodia. And to me, Philippines is the one that feels the most ready to explode. Yeah. Like you look at the, the trend, growth has been kind of crazy. But we still don't see a unicorn. Mm-hmm. Uh, the population supports a domestic company hitting that unicorn status, that billion-dollar valuation. The you know population education-wise is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So like I I think about it, I was really like I said perplexed when I was like, well, why is there no unicorn mm-hmm. in, in the Philippines yet? Okay. Or I mean, not even a domestic one. I mean, just the language. Language alone, you know, gives you access and advantage over everyone else in the region. Because as much as Singapore likes to say they're an English-speaking nation, anyone who's been to Singapore knows that's not the case. <laughs> so, what did you say? So, one more time. You know that that Singlish accent is, kills me. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you guys do have a lot of natural advantages here, yeah. and you know, I I think like you're, you're right on the head. You're hitting the nail on the head that this is the time, like. Mm-hmm. We're at the beginning of that kind of five-year ramp, like yeah, straight up, definitely, like a hockey stick. You now, and it's going to be crazy. 
And that's what I'm looking at. Like, that's why I'm, I set up Vessel pretty much. I have some ideas. My mm -hmm. friends have some really good ideas. And it's not necessarily like you'd say groundbreaking in like, mm. the Western side of the world. But it doesn't it, need to be. Like, it doesn't need to be. It's, that's a standard that's different than exactly. Asia. Like, I, I hate when like and you're not doing this. I'm not then I'm not dogging you. Not not on this topic. I'll dog you later. Don't worry. <laughs> <All right. laughs> but, you know, I hate when like so many people say like, oh, they're trying to replicate something from the valley mm -hmm. or they're trying to replicate yeah. the ecosystem of the valley or Salt Lake City or Austin and, and wh wherever we are. Like, that's not what you need, nope. man. You know, and like you, you're hitting it right in the head. It, it's, a, it's a Filipino thing, right? It, it's it, You need to have a Filipino organic yes. ecosystem that supports it. It needs to be localized. It needs to be foundational, especially yeah. in this infant, like infancy period, yeah. especially for startups. So a lot, of, a lot of people make that mistake, mm. assuming that, okay, this works in another country, it will work here. Mm. But everybody needs to understand, especially when it comes to startups, especially when it comes to something disruptive or innovative, mm. it's a timing thing. Yeah. It's always a timing thing. Mm. And if you look at the Philippines and say it's five to 10 years behind, it means you're not ready for those products. No. No, you need to actually build what they built like five years before. They're not ready for that model. Exactly, yeah, the model, no, not yet. Yeah. You need to educate the market. Mm. They need to, like, for now, it's like mobile payments, right? Mm -hmm. People paying straight from the phone. You need to educate the market. Yeah. Like, you can actually have, like, one of the, like, Globe is, like, one of the telcos here, mm. right? They're already, they're already ed educating the market in terms of mobile payments on the phones. So... If you do, if you launch a mobile payments platform now, maybe it's too early. Yeah. You want to make sure that it actually hits a certain critical mass before you launch something like that. Yeah. So you just need to wait, bide your time. It's all about timing, basically. T timing's important. It's mm -hmm. funny because some people just have impeccable timing. With yeah. Startups with business, they can see it. Yeah. Right, for me, I don't. I've, I've missed timing on a bunch of uh, my startups <laughs> me in too. the past. <laughs> <laughs> I was like years early or years late. You know. Mm. It, it can be rough, but it's a learning experience. There are factors you have to look at there that, that you can't really predict a lot of the time. Nope. And you have to be able to say, okay, maybe I missed it or maybe I got it. I don't know, but let's try it. But yeah, timing, timing is key. I think especially when you're talking about a market like this where we're, we're looking at a market similar to nowhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. We're looking at a market that has culture similar to nowhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. you know, you, there's no way to know. You just have to feel it out. Like buying culture. Like nowhere else could you see so many malls. Well, you've right? you so never been to Bangkok, man. Oh, I've mean, never been to Bangkok. That's why you gotta come to come to Bangkok. Kick me up. I'll take you around. I'll show you Sounds so good. cowboy. Show the mixed nuts of Bangkok. I'll show you the mixed nuts of Bangkok. I'll bring you. I'll bring you a Silom <laughs> Soy Four. You know what a ping pong show is? No, you're about oh, to find yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but, uh, forward to it, yeah. but no, the mall mall culture in Asia in general. Yeah. I, I don't think it's so much about shopping. I think mm. it's just because it's hot as a motherfucker <laughs> in Asia, yeah. right? And people want to get out of the heat. Interesting, yeah, yeah. But like you know, five I, no, not five. Four of the top ten biggest malls in the world are in Thailand, mm -hmm. and like all of them are in Asia. You know, whether it's Southeast Asia, East Asia, South Asia, all of the top 10 biggest malls in the world are in Asia. Mm. You know, and it, it's for a reason. And, you know, yeah, buying culture is unique. Yeah. And, you know, I've talked to people about e-commerce here. And, you know, I think e-commerce is, is starting to pick up in, in like Thailand and mm. like uh, Cambodia. But you guys are actually like moving pretty quickly with e-commerce. Yeah, very quickly. I mean... Definitely one of the biggest drivers, like Lazada, right? Mm. That pretty much opened everything up to e-commerce. Thai company. Yeah. And that's why, like, 
if you actually have that market understand or be educated that okay we can buy stuff online yeah. and actually count on logistics providers mm. to provide that service that we need people are going to start buying online that's where you hit the sweet spot now, okay mm. i'm going to launch my own e-commerce yeah. startup and that's the thing about the philippines right now especially in this this year and couple of years before you see all of these logistics providers pretty much popping lining up. up and popping up and that's why that's where you know the foundation is already being built the infrastructure yeah. is already being built for e-commerce so we, you know it's time to strike basically we, we, we spoke to the yeah. uh, the founder of uh, Sen. Uh, send yeah. yeah and uh like what they did with local logistics and mm -hmm. being able to help people both on the e-commerce selling side and yeah. the receiving side yeah uh, amazing business model yeah. you know and I, we work with them when it comes to e-commerce yeah also, yeah so I, we, we interviewed him a few days ago, and mm. fantastic, fantastic interview, really interesting. Mm. And they, they've spread out into other areas of e-commerce as yeah. well and doing consolidation from other countries, yes. you know, distribution. They're also building, like, networks of people. I mean, that's the type of thing that really moves it along quickly. Yes. But when you talk about logistics on e-commerce, though, man, it's tough in the island nations. Yeah, definitely is. Yeah. Like, especially if, like, you have domestic e-commerce. You have to mm. go from a warehouse here. Yes, to, like, to Cebu, yeah. to Mindanao. Yeah, it is very difficult. But there's always, like, it's a good thing that's difficult. Yeah. It means people are going to come up with a solution for it eventually. And mm. it is, in a sense, kind of a garden market in the you need yeah. to understand logistics in the Philippines in order to also set up. So it's very specialized in that yeah. way, which gives a lot of opportunities for logistics providers to become like very high in value. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, whoever solves that, that yeah. logistics problem in a country like the Philippines is going to be a very wealthy individual. Exactly. exactly. It's such a huge issue and it's a big undertaking and it's an awesome problem. And if you can solve it, you're going to have an amazing solution. If it, if it has value anywhere else in the world, I don't know. But with the size of the Philippines as a country, it doesn't need to. Yeah. That, that's one of the It's nice already good size. Yeah. So, I mean, like, if you're in a country of like 3 million people, right, <laughs> yeah, is it worth it to, yeah. solve, to solve crazy logistics issues? Probably not. 120 million people, like, yeah, it's worth it. When it comes to like access, though, like, the biggest problem with logistics, I guess, and probably it is also, was also mentioned in your previous interviews, a lot of people will depend on cash on delivery. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things that uh, Sam yeah. talked about a lot. So when it comes to um, credit card penetration, it's very low here. That's a problem. Mm. So that's where payment gateways and payment platforms have an opportunity to actually disrupt or mm. pretty much create opportunities for themselves too. So yeah, we're seeing a lot of those companies also pop up here. Yeah, a lot of really interesting opportunity. The other thing that I think gives Philippines a unique kind of perspective in the world is how many Filipino workers work outside the Philippines. Yeah. Right, so not only do a lot of them bring a different experience back, but they also, you know, bring a lot of Filipino culture outside of the country. They do, they do. You know, and they, I, when I first lived in Thailand, I, I lived in an apartment building next to a uh, a medical resort type facility, medical tourism basically. Everyone who lived in my apartment building, other than me, was either a Filipino nurse or a Filipino doctor. Right, everyone. So one, my place always smelled like bacon because they were always <laughs> cooking pork. Yeah. But uh, like they were just all there and they were like, I was shocked because they said they actually made more money in Thailand than they would in the Philippines. And they were there basically because they spoke English. They had really high quality nursing education yeah. and medical education. And they were just enjoying, you know, living in Thailand and complaining about the heat like everyone else and working 12 hour crazy days. The advantage of being Filipino is you're very sociable. Yeah. Like from, from the get go. So a lot of my friends... Yeah, I noticed yeah. a lot of girls talk to me in the mall. That <laughs> yeah. Definitely wouldn't happen in America. Yeah, we should go to publish and maybe a lot more girls will actually yeah. talk to you. Yeah. You got to pay for them. <laughs> 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 yeah, 
Yeah, but yeah. I was like, wow, fat yeah. white dude, fat bald white dudes with beards must be like the, the hot thing over here. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, Pretty yeah, much. Yeah, like, yeah. That's why right. I see a fuck, lot of. Fuck yeah. you, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Like, so, a lot of my friends, like, when they work in their respective companies, like in the US and also in yeah. Canada, pretty much got along with people and there's a lot like huge huge presence of like in terms of the OFW market yeah. that's what we call it and it's more OFW of, for those of you guys who don't know yeah, overseas sorry. foreign workers there, there you go and what it resulted before was more of a pretty much a brain drain here right? mm. it's like a lot of our special specialists and also technical people also fly out but I think with the coming years mm. and the opportunities in the startup industry I think a lot more people are actually flying back Coming back, yeah, bringing like what they that, learned overseas, exactly, which is here. awesome. Like, one of I interviewed one of like one of a, the VCs in Singapore, and he told me the biggest problem with when it comes to investing in the Philippines is that well, we have the really good technical people, mm. and we also have like really good founders. But when it comes to middle management, that's pretty much where the problem comes in. When it comes to scale, that's something you have to develop internally, in your opinion, or do you have to bring that back? From we need overseas? knowledge, really, yeah. of actually how to create or start a company and mm. sometimes you get that from outside mm. or being com- exposed to like corporate in a certain sense. So and you're hoping as you pull some of these people back yeah. that they'll bring a little bit of that with them. They bring also like really great expertise like in technology or in the actual technical expertise. Like yeah. my friend from UIUX, he brings all the be- best principles mm. and best practices here. And it pretty much it works really to our advantage because being exposed to startup industries outside of the country helps you come up with more innovative, innovative ideas, mm. like being from Seattle yeah. or being from San Francisco. All that rain that you experience exactly. in Seattle, really. But <laughs> when they get here, it's like it's very jarring, yeah. like how different it is. Like if you go to San Francisco or if you go to the U.S., like everything mm. works when it comes to logistics, right? You have Amazon sure, there, sure. Like that, right? Yeah, but, it's true. You're not getting two-day delivery. Yeah, 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 but when you're here, it's like what? <laughs> I can't get like my stuff in like one day. Like, yeah. why can't I get my money? So you, I'll tell you something. Yeah. About, talking about logistics challenges, the first and this is going back to '99, yeah. the first company I worked for mm-hmm. after I started my first company and we exited, the very first company I went to work for was an Amazon-backed e-commerce company called Cosmo.com. Okay, their whole point was to deliver shit in like less than an hour, uh-huh. so you could like get, you know, buy ice cream, rent a movie, and uh, you know get something else and like someone would show up at your door in like an hour with a bag with your stuff in it. Okay. Right. And, but they, they operate on like a local level city by city. So they only functioned in like eight or nine U.S. cities by the time they went out of business. But it's, it's building out all that infrastructure, you know, building out the ability for, to have delivery people that could just run out and do it. And, mm-hmm. you know, essentially as a cash burn because they were paying people to sit in, a, yeah, in a warehouse yeah. and yeah. get packages. Mm-hmm. And then building up those building up those uh, routes and sending it all out. So how like the challenge there really is pretty much scaling the business outside mm. from that initial like first city, right? Yeah. So think of the Philippines though. It's it's also like how far back was this Cosmo? Nineteen ninety nine to yeah, two thousand one. Yeah, it's pretty pretty long yeah. time ago. Yeah, like, a few years ago. But <laughs> same day delivery here was, um, I think. The biggest one is probably McDonald's. Yeah. Right? They're really good at that. Well, but this is the thing, right? The, one of the things that I think the world learned from looking at Cosmo yeah. is in Cosmo's failure as a startup was that that model works in a high-density, mm-hmm. tech-savvy 
city. Yeah. Because even when they launched in L.A., uh, I don't know if you've ever been to L.A. or to California. I'm, I'm going to California. I know you said you're going to, yeah, uh, to San Francisco, right? Yeah, I've been to L.A. once. Yeah. So L.A., is, you know, it's flat. It's very spread out. It's not a high density I was a city. baby then, so yeah, I wouldn't okay, so you don't know, remember. You don't know shit. <laughs> you don't know shit. I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I don't know why you're interviewing me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Emily left. She knows I'm going to blame her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, but, uh, you know, L.A. is big and flat. It's very Got spread it, yeah. out, right? And you can't. There was just no way to to get profit and and be able to run it effectively. Mm-hmm. So like yeah, it would work somewhere like Makati, yeah. right, where it's high density, high density Monday, Monday to Friday, right? Yeah. It's easy to zip around like on bicycles or whatever, a scooter. You know, you're not gonna do it in a car here. It's hard to do it in a car yeah. here, and you're not gonna do it in like some some rural village because one, you have to keep products on hand, and two, you have to have staff on hand. They're just gonna sit there and burn money. That's true. So. It needs to fit the local environment. That's why it's an interesting thing. Um, Singaporean startup and Hong Kong startup, um, Ninja Van and Lala Mover, yeah, yeah. and their same day delivery, right? And they're testing a lot of things here, and I think they're doing well mm. because, because Makati or mm. Manila is a very high density area. Very, yeah. So I think th- that's pretty much the infrastructure or the foundation to actually create a e-commerce business. Interesting fact too. Out of ninety-nine percent of the companies here or like things that or retail businesses here MSMEs what's that so really small like micro small to medium enterprises and a lot of them are still not necessarily um, exposed to e-commerce but Mm. once e-commerce is already um, up and running in terms Mm. of like logistics and payment Mm -hmm. like that you'd see a large large number of people going online versus actually setting up in retail shops. Yeah. So. I mean, if you can cut your overhead significantly exactly. and improve your profitability through technology, why would you not? Yeah, the opportunity is so huge here basically yeah. for e-commerce. For sure. I mean, yeah, I think brick and mortar, I remember in the 90s, mm-hmm. people were saying the internet was going to kill brick and mortar by 2005. Obviously hasn't happened yet. Yeah. We're 13 years on from that. But I think brick and mortar is always going to play a role in some respect. I don't think we're going to see big, massive retail brick and mortar places in the future. I think we'll see more like niche type of stuff, one-off, very customized things, or or maybe even just a brick and mortar place where you go to pick your stuff up. Mm-hmm. You know, like you order it online and then you're out for lunch and you pick something delicate up or whatever. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know what the future for brick and mortar holds. If I did, I'd be a trillionaire. Um, <laughs> An but interesting. I'm not. Interesting thing in retail, actually, like there's an actual physical component, right? When you're buying mm. something, and some of the ways that the local startups have dealt with it is, for example, I remember this old startup that I think they folded, but it was called Four Eyes, and it was for glasses. What they do? Oh yeah, is, I remember Four Eyes. Yeah. What they do is they deliver or send you the glasses first, so you mm. can actually feel it first. Because yeah. they're, they're a purely online e-commerce yeah, player, yeah. right? So they send you the glasses first, and you try it on, and you send it back. Then I'm not just I'm just not sure how viable that was, but there's ways around actually avoiding creating a retail shop, especially mm. for things that require you to test. Well, in, in the U.S., we used to have big electronics stores. One mm-hmm. of them was called Best Buy, and everyone would basically call it the uh, showroom for Amazon. Uh, people <laughs> would go there, they'd look at something, and they'd say, okay, I like that, I'll buy it on Amazon because it's 10% <laughs> yeah, less. Yeah, 10% less, yeah. But, yeah, I agree with you. There's a way to mitigate yeah. the actual physical shop of things. I think there are people, especially for clothes, people do want to see clothes. They want to experience the fit, the fabric, yes, the feel, yes. the texture. But... They don't necessarily want to go out and do it all the time. 
Yeah, I think that's why I, I pretty much always buy the same things mm. because I know they'll fit. I don't have to go look at them. Mm. I'm lazy like that. Even like like the EFM shirts, like I ha I have to wear these because Emily insists I always have the logo on everything. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. she's yeah, she all about the brand. Got it, got it. And uh, we were in a KK and I didn't have any EFM shirts that fit. We just had like, they bought me like three sizes too small, so like belly shirts. <laughs> so all, all photos of me had to be like from the chest down or else uh, it was just offensive. You fit right in and mix nuts, man. Yeah, fit, fit right in. <laughs> <laughs> Rocking skin-tight mid-drifts that yeah. are offensive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I can't wait. I'm going, you're taking me tonight, right? Yeah, definitely. And they call you by name. Paolo, Paolo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good to see you again. I haven't seen you since breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is my friend. <laughs> oh, pretty much. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what would be really shocking for you is when I'm like, oh, Dana, how are you? Like, Wait till you've been here. You actually run the place. So, so yeah, yeah. So they'll be like, oh, you're, you're finally coming into the brick and mortar location. You're yeah. not just an e-commerce <laughs> no, customer anymore. Where well, they send it over and you try it out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, pretty yeah. much, pretty much. I've used up my free sample allotment. <laughs> Oh, okay. Oh, oh wow. This is... All right. <laughs> but no, I was with, with e commerce. I do think it, it's yeah. interesting with like, especially with clothes, like, huh. someone's going to come up with a really great solution, whether it's shipping or we had a style genie in here earlier talking with uh, Abby, who actually does a subscription style service mm -hmm. where women order their stuff and they deliver a monthly box to them. With okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and you can, you can get like, you know, whatever. No undies, though, I did ask. Oh, okay. <laughs> just, just tops and bottoms. Okay, Not yeah. yet. Not right. yet. All right. Yeah. I, should have, I should have suggested to her that she call it uh, Dana's Secret when she starts sending out uh, like Victoria's Secret, but Dana's Secret. Because it's a woman's name. Too. I have a woman's name, so it yeah, wouldn't work. It, but it, yeah. in reality, I'd be like... You'd be <laughs> buying that, though. Like, Man, well, well I, I made a joke with her, and she yeah. didn't get it. I was like, so... So like I'm like you, you just target. She's like, oh, we target women. I'm like, oh, so you target people who wear women's clothes? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, yeah, we target women. I was like, okay, I'm not gonna repeat it. <laughs> they should have a new package for balding, balding guys with balding midriff, fat midriff guys. t-shirts, midriff t-shirts, yeah. 120 kilo fat dudes that, that need a midriff. Makes sense. Yeah. Let's like show off my hairy back. Yeah. <laughs> You should sign up for the subscription service I know that actually does like honey waxing. <laughs> this should be a startup. We should, yeah, we should put up one. Monthly honey waxing. Exactly. You, you, should, you should incubate that inside. That's <laughs> what you should do. Yeah, Unicorn, basically. It's a, yeah, That's it's definitely a unicorn, unicorn shit. Yeah. Especially in Asian countries where so many people are hairy, right? Well, no, just me. Just... <laughs> It just, just all the fat white dudes who live. That's a population of like 10 million alone inside Philippines. Fat, fat, oh, hairy man. white dudes. It's like wax. Travel, travel for waxing, basically. Travel wax. Travel wax. Ah. And then we can employ all the, all the dancers from Nick's Nuts during the day. <laughs> and they can be the ones doing the waxing. Yeah. Because they're, they're used to that. I'm sure they're pretty, pretty used to it. Already. I'm sure they've seen a lot of body hair. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure they've seen your body hair. I'm sure they've seen your lack of body hair. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> anyway. Right. Anyway. Paulo, uh, I appreciate yeah, you yeah. taking the time to come on. Of course, I think of course, we'll, of course. I think we'll end on the mixed nuts body hair waxing yes, discussion. Uh, wrap it <laughs> <Yeah>. up. <laughs> we'll close it off with that. No, no, no. But yeah, I, yeah. I, really, I really do appreciate you coming out. It's been, been a blast uh, talking about everything. 
real quick before we go, let just let all the listeners know where they can find out more about you, yes, about definitely. your projects going on. All right. Um, right now, I'm actually I actually want to talk about um, Ignite. Okay. So um, we're putting up this event through Tech Shake and then Suex mm. uh, on July 16, 17 yeah. in Cadiz Shangri La Hotel in the Philippines, and we want to invite everyone to actually drop by. Is this your first one? No, this is our second one. Second one. So you did it last week. year. Yes. Nice. And we're bringing in a lot of investors, a lot of speakers from around mm. the world. And what we really want to do is push for corporate innovation nice. and also the support for startups here in the Philippine community. And just so everyone knows, it's the week after Rise, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. yeah so, so like you have no excuse if you're in Asia exactly, already. Exactly, just come just over. Come by. No, to, no one wants to go to Hong Kong anyway. So, <laughs> you know, stop there because you have to. Come to the Philippines because you want the to. The opportunity is here. Yeah. The opportunity is here. And for sure. For more information, go to ignite.ph. Yep. If you want to read more about the startups here, go to techshake.asia. Nice. And if anybody wants to contact me to talk about startups, mm. you can uh, email me at paolo at digiteer.digital. That's D I G I T E E R.digital. So. Great. And guys, all those links are going to be down in the show notes. Make yes. sure you check it out. It's definitely going to be an awesome event. I was actually looking at the uh, the guest list earlier. Yeah. A lot of really interesting speakers. Actually, Emily and I are going to try to come out here as a media yeah. partner awesome. with you guys awesome. and awesome. cover it as well. Uh, check that out, guys. All the links are down there below. And until next time, stay on that grind. This is the Southeast Asia Business Podcast with me, Dana Bloom. Oh, yeah. If you can't reach me, I apologize. I didn't ignore you, I was in disguise. In disguise, man, you know I got a big surprise. Ask me why, cause I'm trying to build an enterprise. Airplane mode.